Welcome to the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast, where we explore popular practices, songs, and ideas in the modern church world in the light of Sola Scriptura and Tota Scriptura. I'm Cody Fields, the president of Westminster Effects. You can go to westminstereffects.com to buy stuff for your guitar. I promise the website works, even though it crashed last week and whatever. Anyway, join the discussion in the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast Lounge on Facebook and make sure you subscribe on whatever podcast catcher and follow us on Facebook and Instagram. Just look up Westminster Effects. You can't miss us. And make sure you review the show. I'm joined in person by... Everybody, Bradley Cox, pastor at Resurrection Church in Greer, South Carolina. It's good to be back. It is. It's been a minute. It has. We've, we have both been just insanely busy. We have. Uh, I got that giant order from Warwick out, and then they placed another one. Not as awesome, big. Man. I've I've literally never been this busy in the summer. Because like summer is normally pretty slow for the music industry as a whole, which is why they did Summer Nam for so long. And when they brought back Nam, it was in the summer. And because you're slow, you don't have a lot going on. So go show stuff off and sell stuff and getting ready for the Christmas season and whatever. Right. I have not been slow. <laughs> like I, I've, I'm even getting new dealers stateside and whatnot. So that's awesome. That's awesome, man. Yeah. So go to the dealer website and go try some stuff out near you. So, and then you just went to Mexico. I did. Not on spring break. No, but <laughs> it was, it was such a great restful yeah. trip. Yeah. Um, with our, with our boys in back to back ministries. So look them up. Yeah. Look them up there. It's a, it's a great ministry and, um, man, um, such a good week. Uh, that could be a whole episode to talk about that. But yeah, we we just need to get Jeff on the show. Is what we need to do. Oh, he'd be fun to that, have. That would be a lot of fun. Yeah, he's a great friend and um, works for Back to Back. Um, but yeah, definitely check out their website, Back to Back. It's it's actually, I think it's B the letter B the number two the letter B dot org. Yep, that might be. That sounds right. I think that sounds right. right. But they do good work, and we support them here. We do with our budget here at Resurrection Church, and. Uh, we, we love them. But our main topic today is we went to a revelation seminar, mm-hmm. <laughs> which uh, most people will would hear that and think, oh, so you hung out with like Jonathan Kahn or <laughs> Kenneth Copeland. <laughs> or Kenneth, Copeland. Kenneth Copeland was the or, keynote. Uh, or John Hagee, <laughs> <laughs> right. where, where if he's there, you are morally and contractually obligated to pronounce Israel. <laughs> <laughs> it's not just Israel, it's Israel. Uh, I'm but, convinced John Hagee's building bombs for Israel in his <laughs> church basement. He's a defense subcontractor. Oh, in I his think spare so, time. man. I think so. Yeah, the Iron Dome is actually just a portrait of John Hagee. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh somebody meme that. Uh, but anyway, no, this was put on by uh, Greenville Presbyterian Theological Seminary. Yep. So literally down the road from us. Right. About, what, 15 minutes from the church at the most? And it was uh, Dr. G.K. Beale, who we actually use his and Carson's uh, commentary in the Old Testament use, or New Testament use of the Old Testament pretty right. regularly. Right. So we're not strangers to Beale. Nope. Uh, but he was here in town, and it was a good time. I committed too late and had to jump on the live stream, <laughs> which wasn't the worst thing because I got to do the solder monkey thing, uh, build circuit boards while I was listening to that. But there were times when I just had to turn on and be like, what? Yeah, seriously. <laughs> um, but give us your experience from the in-person stuff. Well, I mean, 
maybe aside from the content of it, um, I don't know that I've been around someone, a, a scholar of that level, mm-hmm. that to me just oozed humility and pastoral yes. sensitivity. Yep. Um, I, I really felt like he was pastoring us, uh, teaching us, shepherding us through Revelation rather than just giving us an academic assessment of the of the book of revelation so mm-hmm. I, I really appreciated that and i think that it, it really was, came through in person real quick it was very academic very academic. there was no there getting things around that. That were over my head like yeah i too. struggled to get like i was trying to type notes in fact i i showed up with just my bible mm-hmm. and you know because i'm not a huge note taker me like, neither when i take notes i i i I, I retain less content. Yep, me too. But it was so deep and rich, and he was putting so much stuff up on the screen. I actually called Ethan, our student minister, and I said, "Get my laptop out of my office and bring it to me." <laughs> and he did. And I was trying to type, but I, I missed so much because he. I mean, there's it's just like a fountain, like drinking from a fire hydrant, literally. Of yep. of how much he has wrestled with different things, and it was really it was really amazing. Yeah, and it was. God, the humility involved too. Like I, I forgot to put that in my notes, but that did strike me too. Is he was not haughty. It was this is what I see, and we're gonna walk through it. And I took note. I don't know if you did. I took note of how many times things like how many times he mentioned his wife, how much mm. he mentioned reading scripture and praying with his wife and yeah. having conversations about scripture with his wife. I'm assuming, based on things that he said, that his wife is a pretty sharp cookie, too. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I don't know what she does for a living or did, but I, I would assume she's not you know, an Old Testament, New Testament scholar. Right. But yet he's he's running things that he's wrestling with by her mm-hmm. and mentions praying with her, and he prayed before every session. Like I, Those are just things that, to me, like I like guys that have such academic prowess but also such great humility and love for the lord yeah it's uh tangential but with the whole sbc putting their foot down on only called men as pastors right uh last week it, it wasn't saying that women are worthless like any great man who actually has his head on straight is going to run things by his wife and listen to his wife uh, like we have you seen the uh, the John Adams miniseries? No. So uh, Kristen and I just watched that, and Adams was he was not orthodox; he was a Unitarian, uh, but he ran everything by his wife, and they they really hammer on that through the whole series. Is he's getting her advice in trying to start a new country? <laughs> And be president, and all, and be a, a foreign envoy, and all of this kind of stuff that he was involved in, which speaks to his humility. In yeah, that. totally. Um, same thing with Beale. You know, it it really bothers me. This is off topic, but it really bothers me the criticism that's being leveled at the SBC from both the you know certain segments of the church at large mm-hmm. and also the secular media. Yeah, because. What I keep hearing is that the SBC has decided that women can't do ministry. Right. That is false. Yeah. That is not yeah. even close to what the SBC is saying. The SBC is simply trying to 
be consistent in their hermeneutic with regard to biblical eldership slash pastor slash shepherds in the local church. Yep. That has nothing to do with excluding women from ministry altogether mm-hmm. and playing vital roles in the local church, even roles of leadership in the local church, mm-hmm. under called and qualified men who are gifted to be elders. Yep. That... I just feel like there's such a a, um, a twisted narrative. Yep, there really that's is. Being, that's being promoted not only in the secular media, but also in the church. And Rick Warren, oh. a lot of his so-called biblical arguments for what he's done. <laughs> and, and, and let me just say candidly, I'm not SBC. Right. I'm not sitting here tr- just trying to defend the SBC. Mm-hmm. We, already, are, we are speaking as outsiders. Here. We are speaking as outsiders, and people know my background. Um, you know, I grew up Pentecostal holiness, okay, yep. which is so adamant about affirming and ordaining women to the pastorate, that denomination. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I really think I have somewhat of an objective perspective on this, but a lot of Rick Warren's so-called biblical arguments are things like, you know, we, we're regulating the fulfillment of the Great Commission to men. No. No. Nobody's saying that. Honestly, honestly, Rick Warren embarrassed himself. I feel like he really did. Like, this is, man. His argumentation was just atrocious. So Which, Which, which honestly, I'm not surprised by because it's not like he's a well-known exegete. No, he's not. Unlike Beale. He's not. (laughs) So, he's a likable, I'm not, I I need to shut up. I'm not going to talk about (laughs) him. I just don't. I just don't want to. I, I don't want people to get the wrong ideas about the SBC, and I'm not right. saying that as an SBC homer because I'm not that. Right. I, I I just feel like that there there is a biblical issue to wrestle with, and if you want to land yourself on the other side of the issue from the SBC, fine, but don't promote a false narrative. Right. Right. Absolutely. Uh, Back to Revelation and back, GK Bill. Back to Revelation and GK Bill. Uh, so maybe let's do some pros, some cons, some takeaways, all that kind of stuff, because it's not nothing done by people is ever going to be perfect. Yep. Uh, but at the same time, man, it was awesome. It was incredible. Uh, I think probably the biggest pro of it was, yeah, you can, you can really read and uh, legitimately attempt to understand it. And not read the locusts as Apache helicopters. Totally, but you know, like to me, right out of the gates. Okay, um, in fact, I might even read it uh, really quickly. Revelation uh, chapter one, verse one. We we spent there were I forget how many sessions, five or six. Sounds right. Um, that he did over the course of a day and a half, roughly, and. The bulk of the first session, maybe even into the second session, was spent just on the first verse of Revelation, um, where John writes and says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants the things that must soon take place, he made it known... um, he made it known to them by sending his angel to his servant John, who bore witness to the word of God and to the testimony of Jesus Christ, even to all that he saw. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear and keep what is written in it. So I read the first three verses, but um, the 
the ESV translates the last phrase of verse 1, he made it known. Um, and what Baal, or is it Baal? Beal. Beal argued, was that that word, that phrase made it known is, is really uh, better translated signified. Mm-hmm. Is that right? That sounds right. And which it, it, he took us back through a host of Old Testament scriptures, uh, you know, from the... Um, the Septuagint looking at the Greek translation of the Old Testament and showing where that word is used throughout the Old Testament to uh, to, to communicate, signify, or symbolize. Mm-hmm. And so he made the case, a strong case, that whereas some people read Revelation and you know they they take the approach of let's take this as symbolic. No, let's take this as literal until we're forced to interpret it symbolically. Right. And he says, no, it should be the exact opposite. Yeah. You take this all as symbolic until you're forced to take it literally. The things like dragons with seven heads yes. and horns, thousands of years, 144,000 people, et cetera, et cetera, all the things that we like to get hung up on. Right. He's saying, no, that's supposed to be symbolic. Calm down a little bit. Yeah. And I, that was helpful to me. Yeah. Additionally, it was helpful the way that he, I, I knew that there that Revelation was littered with um, Old Testament language, familiar mm-hmm. Old Testament language, um, but I didn't realize how prolific that it's was. Insane. It's really insane. Perverse. It is not perverse as in twisted, but perverse. Two, two words. words. <laughs> yep. Gotcha. Uh, uh, there are more Old Testament references in the book of revelation than any other new testament book that's right that's right and even even just uh what beale talked about with illusions of using half of a verse like three or four words from a verse and not saying you know like ezekiel said Mm -hmm. right like because there are things like that where it outright quotes you know an entire verse or two but there's also plenty of other things that it just says oh yeah i'm gonna use the same phrase and yeah, leave it at that. Which, you know, it, it was so helpful to me because I, I even asked him a question about this in one of the sessions. Um, I, had, I had always thought, or I primarily thought, that what, what we have as the book of Revelation is John simply writing what he saw. Mm-hmm. In other words, there were windows open to John, pictures that God, audiovisual demonstrations that God gave John um, that were meant to encourage a church that was suffering and, and tremendous persecution. Mm-hmm. Many churches that were suffering tremendous persecution right. in the first century. Um, but what I hadn't really understood is that John not only writes what he sees, but under inspiration of the Spirit, he's interpreting what he sees in light of the Old Testament. Right. And and using Old Testament language and references from Ezekiel and uh Daniel and um, other places in the Old Testament that would have connected with his audience so that they, you know, they, this was written for them, right? right? This was written right. to those seven churches. Right. It, anything that you read in Revelation primarily has to be understood from their viewpoint first. Right. It, it, and that's, that's why I've landed on certain positions is it doesn't make sense to spend three chapters saying, all right, get ready. These things are about to take place. And then this church, you're doing pretty well. This church over here, you need to shape up, etc. And then you get to chapter four. All right, now in 2,000 years. Right. 
<laughs> it, right. it just does not make sense to read the book that way. It doesn't. It doesn't. And it doesn't make sense to think that John is seeing um, Apache helicopters that he has no frame of reference for and describing them as locusts. Right. What he's doing is he's seeing the Lord is literally giving him an audiovisual picture that he is interp- he's he's describing and also under inspiration of the Spirit interpreting from the basis of his Old Testament knowledge, and the right. Spirit is guiding all of that, and you add all that together, we get the book of Revelation. That yeah. was helpful to me. Yeah, so effectively, Revelation is biblical theology personified, maybe to put it that way. That's great. I like that. <laughs> uh, where biblical theology being the art of doing theology by connecting similar themes throughout Scripture yep. is kind of how I would define it on the fly. Uh, as opposed to a systematic theology, which there's pros to both, right? Uh, where a systematic theology is, all right, let's talk about the doctrine of God. What does this say? Right. Right. And and we boil down all of the doctrine of God throughout all of Scripture, and then we do the other things connected to that. Uh, where more biblical theology is, what's this grand narrative going on? Yep. Which which we're starting to get into here a little more at Res, where, where we kind of started with, uh, especially with your friendship with Brian Onkin in his reading scripture class of, no, you really can understand scripture because you know how to read and understand words. Right, (laughs) right. And so we've kind of started from there. What does this text say? And now it's branching off a little more of what does this text say and what do other texts, how do other texts inform us about this? Even with the first uh, Philippians uh, sermon that you just did of, the first couple of verses. Well, who are Paul, who's Paul and Timothy? Right. Because if you don't understand who Paul and Timothy are from the rest of Scripture, you're you're going to miss something about the rest of Philippians. And and that's something as a as a pastor teacher, I'm trying to grow in right now. Like sure, I, I'm really. Um, I, I think I've said this on the podcast before. I'm not a fan of the big air quotes big story of the Bible approach to interpreting Scripture. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean, and let me say this, the reason I'm not a fan of that is because I think it, if, if you lay that grid, whatever you think the big story of the Bible is, mm-hmm. if you lay that grid over every text that you're reading, I think more often than not, you're going to miss the deep, reach meaning, deep, deep, rich meaning of the text that you're in. Yep. Um, yep. When you read a psalm, you don't just need to consider its prophetic implications. You mm-hmm. need to wrestle with what David's wrestling with himself. Right. That doesn't mean, though, that there's not a big story to the Bible. That's just down the road from the primary exegesis. Exactly. Yeah. You, you need to let, like, I, I, here's what I would say to people that are, are maybe considering what is the big story of the Bible, is you need to let that be unfolded for you incrementally over a long period of time. Yeah. I'm still wrestling with what the big story of the Bible is. Yeah. I'm hesitant to try to write a thesis on what the big story of the Bible is because I don't feel like I've studied Scripture long enough and well enough to be able to say that. Right. But I am starting to see some things, and in this seminar, Beal, I mean, to me, one of the most massive ahas was when he took us to Genesis 1, 26, and the the mandate that God gave from the very beginning to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth, and subdue it, and how God has continually 
once man fell, God's intention has only and always been for the earth to be full of his glory. Yep. He puts image bearers in the garden. Why? To, to put his glory on display. Right. And his tension, intention is that those image bearers would bear more image bearers. And, and that particular section, too, where he was doing like the temple theology, connecting Ugh. the temple theology between Revelation all the way to Genesis 1, making the case that Eden actually was a temple. Yes. Because where do you put the image of a god in a temple? And then when you breathe into it, that's when it actually comes. To, like people believed maybe it actually happened of their idols were inhabited yeah by that by their god like and when you actually make that connection and then oh fill the earth multiply uh basically turn the world into this the whole world wasn't the garden mm-hmm. right it was make the world like this expand the temple through the entire world with more of my images and 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 to think you know he he said it this way you know, in the design of the temple, you have, you know, the outer court, the inner court, the holy place, and the holy of holies where the ark was, and that's where the the revelatory presence of God was. Mm-hmm. Sort of, and he, this is the way Beale put it, regulated to the back room. Mm-hmm. But God kept making it clear, even in the temple of Eden, and then in the design of the temple the structure that Solomon built yep. that David raised the money for, yep, yep. I'm not going to stay in the back room. Yep. I'm going to break out of this. Joel 2, in the last days I'll pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your right. sons and daughters will prophesy. And then you have Jesus coming along saying, hey, you see this temple? Yep. It's coming down. And then that actually happens, mm-hmm. but it's preceded by the fulfillment of Joel 2 and the pouring out of the spirit. Right. And now what do you have? You have the church, which is image bearers, now born again and filled with the Spirit. Yep. Multiplying, filling the earth, yep. subduing it, proclaiming the kingdom. And then we read Revelation 21 and 22. Then I saw a new heavens and a new earth, and there was no need for the sun. And I was like... I about went start full Pentecostal on them <laughs> and start throwing chairs and pitching babies, man. It's like, that was so awesome. Those and, Presbyterians would have looked at you so weird. But you know, Beal, I assume, is a Presbyterian. But yeah, man, his passion in talking about that, his excitement mm-hmm. in talking about that was real and tangible and authentic. And I think that that, that I don't know, it increased my joy and excitement in you know, who we are and, and what God has called us to do. Yeah. And I, I was telling our friend Travis Kearns this, you know, there were things I disagreed with, but at the same time, like, I know if I try and pick a fight with him, <laughs> I'm going to lose. Yeah. You know, there, there are certain people that, you know, you know that they're so well read mm-hmm. and, and particularly scholars, like you're not going to win that fight, dude. <laughs> just, just don't. And so like there like his general approach to revelation of the idealistic reading of it, like I generally disagree with it. Mm-hmm. Uh, while at the same time, we can still benefit from hearing him talk about that. Right. Uh, which is, which is really beneficial. One, you, you hear another brother's perspective that's beneficial in and of itself. Totally. Which is going to expose weaknesses in your own position, mm-hmm. which makes 
you have to think about your position even harder. Yeah. Since, you know, I don't know how much more you're buying into his argument of idealism as opposed to more of a preterist argument. Uh, obviously, it's not a deal breaker or a heresy thing or anything like that. But you know what? I, I don't know. Sure. Like, like yeah. I, 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 I've, I've listened to you. I've read some Doug Wilson, yeah. and, and that's compelling. And then I listen to him. And, and it's also compelling. It's also compelling. And I've got his revelation commentary that I'm going to work through slowly and methodically. At some point before the Lord calls me home, I want to teach through Revelation. Right. But I'm, I'm patiently waiting, mm-hmm. working, wrestling, beating on text, listening to scholars like him, because I, I feel like that's a weak area in my biblical understanding. Sure. And I'm hesitant to draw a whole lot of conclusions right now. Right. I'm hesitant to say, yeah, I'm an idealist, or no, I'm a partial preterist, or mm-hmm. I'm post-mill, I'm ah-mill. I'm definitely not pre-mill. And if, and if we're honest, if you're, you know, if, if you're a, a preterist or historicist or idealist, you're going to have aspects of all three of those in there anyway. You are. You really are. There's a, there's some overlap there. And I think we just need to be careful not to to jump to too many conclusions. Yeah. But the thing that, you know, yeah. Piper's written a book that I haven't read yet about the second coming of Christ. And, and one of the things that he says prompted him to read that book is when Paul says to Timothy, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness and uh, the same is true for all those who have longed for his appearing. Mm-hmm. And I watched a video where he was talking about writing this book, and he said, I realized that my longing for his appearing needs to grow. Right. And part of what, you know, my takeaway from that is I don't feel like I've longed for his appear- appearing like. Paul is instructing Timothy to, or right. exhorting Timothy to at least, because I just am not, I haven't been settled about what I believe about his second coming. Mm-hmm. And what I know it's, I, I do believe there's going to be a second coming of Christ. Good. I do believe that. <laughs> Some people don't. Some people right. think it's already happened or whatever, but I, we I call do those believe. heretics. I, I do too. <laughs> but I think there, Jesus is going to return. And the kingdom is going to come in its fullness. We're going to be changed, resurrected. We're going to be made like him. Mm-hmm. This this mortality is going to put on immortality. And there's going to be a resurrected state uh, of eternal bliss for all eternity. I believe all that's coming, but I just haven't been really clear on, you know, a lot of what the Bible says or tells us about what leads up to that and, and mm-hmm. what that's going to be like. And so I, I want to grow in that understanding, but I'm just, you know, I'm not going to get impatient, read one commentary and go, oh, oh this is what I believe. Right. No, like w- with my own uh, journey in that, I mean, it took a couple years. Uh, it started with me saying, I don't see the rapture in a seven-year tribulation in Scripture. Yep. Like, I, I can't get there. Now what? Right. And so, like, I've read... Sam Waldron, uh, listened to a lecture series by Sam Waldron, read Wilson, listened to guys like Jeff Durbin and Ken Gentry. And I mean, it was, it was a process, you know? Yeah. Uh, but, but it's also, it's also a good place to be of, I don't know exactly. Right. right. Uh, obviously you're settled on the most important things. Uh, where where you are with eschatology is where I've been on spiritual gifted stuff mm-hmm. for a while, mm-hmm. you know, and that's okay. Totally okay, you know. I it took me ten years to wrestle through. 
God's sovereignty and salvation. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm 46 years old now. Maybe when I'm 56, I'll be ready to <laughs> yeah. teach through Revelation yeah. because in some ways I feel like I'm at the starting block on um, interpreting Revelation and Daniel, um, even even interpreting uh, Luke 21, Mark 13, and Matthew 24. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a fairly yep. recent... You know, because when we did Mark, you were not in the preterist no, perspective on Mark thirteen. No, in fact, you know, I, our student minister Ethan is taking our middle and high school students yep. through the Gospel of Mark. He's been in, and you're you're helping with that. Yep. He's been y'all've been in Mark thirteen for the last couple of Sundays, and I had to tell Ethan because I gave him all of my notes from when I taught through Mark. I said, "Don't pay attention to those notes." <laughs> I was wrong. Yeah. You know, and that's a humbling thing, right? Like right. to realize I, I, that was, I don't, however many years, that was almost 10 years ago. Yeah, it was. When I yeah. taught through that and I, I had not, I, I don't think I was interpreting those passages rightly. So my apologies to all those who were under that <laughs> teaching and haven't, you know, been a part of recent days here at RIS. Yeah. Well, it, that was, you know, the product of its time, right? Like you just hadn't come to that understanding at the moment. You know, and it's, yeah. it's not like it's a heretical view or any, and it's not like it's, uh, it's not like you were flippant with it. No, I mean, I, I am not a scholar. Uh, I'm a pastor that I believe is gifted by the spirit to teach, mm-hmm. but I am the first one to admit I'm only 10 years in to expository teaching, right? Not even quite 10 years in. Uh, the Gospel of Mark was the first book of the Bible that I ever taught all the way through. Yep. And so I'm I'm still learning. I'm still growing. Um, still seeing things and discovering things. And uh, I don't think that I've taught heresy ever. No. But I think that there are things that I've grown in my understanding of and mm-hmm. uh, post teaching them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I th- I think it you know. Th- those are the kinds of things I think the Lord uses to just keep me humble. Yeah, and that's what we've we've harped on this a lot recently, but it gives more credence to the fact that it is a long game. It's a long game, man. And particularly within reforming a church, you know, like w- we're not where we were ten years ago. No, we're not. Uh, we're I th- we're in a better place, honestly. You know, I I had this really sweet moment in Mexico um, last week where. Uh, I won't mention names, but you know, there's a guy in our church that's uh, been here at Res for a long time, almost as long as I've been here, about 15 years. Uh, he's been a worship leader, um, you know, participated in small groups. He's one of our trustees now, um, and it's only within the last three, four years or so that it's you know, pardon the expression, but it's like he's caught the bug. Yeah. Oh yeah, he's up every morning reading his Bible now, and he is—I forget how many mornings a week now. It's at least three, maybe four mornings a week. He is meeting with other guys to read Scripture together, and he's discipling these guys. Yep. And one of them is a younger guy. He's in his, you know, late twenties, um, and he's—he's he's been discipling this guy for quite some time. And he's—he's he's said to me several times. He said how long am I, do I have to do this? Like, you know, at some point, you know, he's, he's gotta, he's gotta move on and be okay on his own. And, and I've just encouraged him like, look, this is a long game. 
Yep. It takes a minute. Yep. Got to be patient. Well, this young fellow was in Mexico with both of us this past week. And on one of the days when they were at a children's home, um, this guy, this young fella, uh, a local came up and was helping them with a project. They were trying to cut down a dead tree. Okay. And this local just walked up and started helping them. And through an interpreter, he shared the gospel with this local and prayed with him. Hmm. And at the at our debrief at the end of the day, several people mentioned how much that blessed him, blessed them. Hmm. And I leaned over to the guy who's been here 15 years, and I whispered in his ear. I said, your time with him has not been wasted. Yep. There's fruit here. And tears started welling up in his eyes. It's because, like, he realized this is a long game. We're all growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Right. And I, th- I thank God for people like Beale, um, who over the long haul have wrestled with Scripture and and read and studied and, and you know, are not just academics, but they are passionate about this stuff. And mm-hmm. it, it that seminar was incredibly helpful. And I think you would agree with me. We would commend anything that Beale has written to be read and considered, even if there's some things yeah, absolutely. You, you or I or both might. Well, you know, even him being Presbyterian, like hear out, like go hear out his argument for infant baptism. Yeah, seriously. Which maybe you change your mind. Uh, maybe you don't, but you still will understand the doctrine of baptism more. Yeah, that's no doubt. Uh, and, and guys like Beale who are academics and they get into it, but not doing it just so they can, you know, put framed diploma, framed degrees on the wall or anything like. That. You have framed degrees on the wall. You know, I'm not calling you out for that. No, but. totally, totally. <laughs> but you know what I mean? Is totally. Is, he he's not doing it so he can get those credentials. No, that's so right. he can look good to people. Like you can tell, yeah. he's doing it because he enjoys it. Yeah, it's almost like you're listening to a guy who his joy and love for the Lord and and his love for the Word has almost just spilled over into him becoming a scholar. Right, that's the way it felt to me. Yep, yep. Which is way more fun anyway. Way more. Fun. <laughs> Way more fun. It was it was a great it was a great day and a half. I I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Yeah, it was, and and I enjoyed listening to the live stream <laughs> while I built pedals uh, because they ran out of room and couldn't take me anymore. Uh, but I mean, it's it's one of those things where it's like, yeah, go do stuff, go dive in for a couple days, and and jump into the deep end of the pool, and maybe you need a lifeguard. I don't know, but it's it's just good to do. It's good exercise for you. Yeah, and and I I might offer this. You know, parting exhortation. Um, and Bill, this was one of my positive takeaways too. Was Bill said, literally, he he was not. You know, my Brian Onkin, my pastor, he mm-hmm. tends to almost say, "Don't use commentaries at all." Sure. And he does that almost for the same reason that Dave Ramsey would say, "Cut up all your credit cards," because you don't know what to do with them. Yeah. Dave yeah. Ramsey, if you listen to him long enough. He acknowledges that there there are benefits that you can have from credit cards, but he also acknowledges that most people don't have the discipline to use them well. Yep. And that's why Brian Onkin would say don't use commentaries. But Beal, he encouraged commentaries, but he made it clear. He was very explicit. Read the text first. Read it over and over and over again. Wrestle with it, uh, you know, 
over a period of time, yep, a significant period of time even, before you start grabbing commentaries, before you start reading uh, what other scholars or pastors or teachers have said about this, I think wrestling with the text is ultimate. It's optimal. Do that first. Uh, don't just read, you know, commentaries or theological books, uh, and then draw your conclusions. You need to wrestle with the text yourself. Yep. And that's what I'm endeavoring to do. Even though I've got his commentary on Revelation, yep. I yep. want yep. to. It's going to take me a long time to get through it because I'm not just going to read it. I want to read Revelation and then consider. Yep. What he's written, and then and then you'll have to. Whenever it comes out, you know, Ken Gentry has a two-volume Revelation commentary coming out soon. <laughs> I think it's going to be like a total of 700 pages or something like yeah. that. Like, it's just nuts. Yeah. So, wow. But good for him for getting that done. <laughs> totally. totally. <laughs> well, that'll do it for us here at the Westminster Effects Doxology Podcast. Go love God, love your neighbor, and make some music. We'll see you whenever we record again. <laughs>